If you worry about what other people think, soon enough, you will be on the sidelines of your life. Welcome to the Millionaire Woman Show, where we'll be discussing leadership, business, human potential, inspiring you to live rich from the inside out. Unlock your creativity, stretch out of your comfort zone, break through your barriers, take inspired action, and achieve epic results. Now here's your host, three-time best-selling author, speaker, and certified executive coach, Deborah Kozowski. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another Millionaire Woman Show. We bring you guests from around the globe who are going to inspire, motivate, and educate you to take your life, leadership, and business to the next level. Today, my special guest is Eleanor Beaton. She's an internationally recognized expert in women's leadership and advisor to growth-oriented women entrepreneurs. She has served as a chair in Visiting Women's Executive Exchange Program at Yale School of Management and sits on the board of directors for two Canadian venture capital organizations. She's been recognized by Corporate Excellence Awards as Canada's Leadership Coach of the Year and was named by entrepreneurial guru women, Allie Brown, as one of the most foremost women's leadership experts in North America. Eleanor is the host and executive producer of top-ranked podcasts for women entrepreneurs, Fierce Feminine Leadership, a former journalist reporting for CBC, Globe and Mail, and Canadian Business. Eleanor is a finalist for the National Business Book of the Year and Canadian Top Business Book Honor and has won national prizes for her journalistic work covering key issues related to women in leadership. Eleanor has spoken internationally at events whose rosters include notables such as former First Lady and Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. She lives in Eastern Canada with her husband and two sons. And I would love to welcome Eleanor to the show. We have two Canadians on board today. <laughs> today. What? The internet is going to explode. They will not be able to handle We the North. <laughs> well, we are the North, definitely. And we um, have so much to share because as I was reading more about you, Eleanor, and uh, learning more about your leadership in leading women, and one of the power phrases I took from your website is helping women to have place of power, sustainability, and peace. But not only that, is your concept of radical conviction. I would love to jump in. <laughs> so I am just so delighted to be here with you. And, you know, one of the things that I learned as I was, you know, building my own business, finding my own way, um, looking to leaders and mentors that I was working with, what made them stand out? What made them have the level of influence that they have? Why was it, where did this confidence that they, that they had come from? You know, I, I spent a lot of my years in my 20s and early 30s studying that and looking at that and trying to figure out what is it that they have and how can I get more of that <laughs> in my life? And, you know, I realized they weren't necessarily better educated. They didn't necessarily come from, you know, uh, more privileged backgrounds necessarily. They weren't even necessarily that much more intelligent, <laughs> you know, than others. But what they had was a belief, and this was a bone deep belief in their worthiness, 
and a deep and overarching belief in their ability to come to make decisions and to commit to those decisions. And when I started piecing that together, it was like, you know, the heavens opened up because I realized at any time, any one of us can tap into that same level of conviction, you know, that, and that is the fuel that allows us to create extraordinary results, right? So that's what, you know, radical conviction is a bone deep belief in your ability to commit to creating the results that you want to see. It's so powerful. That is absolutely powerful. So one of my life words is believe. And to hear you talk about having that bone deep belief, that radical conviction is so, so needed more than anything. And I would love for you to talk about, you know, what is it that sometimes as women, and I know there's men listening to the show as well, that there's that doubt that creeps in. We have listened to other people's opinions or, you know, fail to trust ourselves Mm. because we're worried about failing. Yeah. I just love this topic. So it's so interesting. So I'm sitting here in my studio and I'm looking over and I have a bookshelf and my bookshelf is filled with uh, business books and leadership books and entrepreneurial books. And so, you know, here I am, imagine myself, you know, uh, five years ago and I decide, okay, I'm going to take this communications consulting business that I have And I'm going to pivot the business and really turn it into a coaching business. And my desire is to kind of grow and scale that business. So a couple of things happen. The first is that initially, I don't really know what's possible for me. And the reason that I don't know what's possible for me is because as I'm researching and start and learning and figuring out how am I going to do this thing, most of the books and most of the conversation around what it means to be successful in business, what that looks like, how to do it have been written by white men. Now, there is nothing, my dad was a white man. My mother was a black woman. My father was a white man. My husband is a white man. I, this is not about having problems with white men. What I'm saying is there has been a disproportionate influence that men have had over controlling the conversation about what success looks like, about what um, the metrics of success should look like, and about how to do it right? So as a woman, you're coming into this and my viewpoint was different. My goals were potentially different, but I'm seeing, you know, there's no, I don't have a voice and I don't see myself reflected in these metrics of success. Mm -hmm. So I feel as though that's like one of the first things we just don't hear. So from the very beginning, maybe our natural way or the things that are important to us, they're not reflected. And it's not a white man's job to reflect what I want but it's time that more of us, you know, women, people of color, you know, it's really important that more of us have that voice, you know, and are heard and are given platforms to be able to share. So, cause I think if you can see it, you can be it. You know what I mean? And I think that sort of self doubt comes when we don't see ourselves reflected in, you know, the rules of success and who's making those rules. That's very fascinating because you know, it was recently brought to my attention. I was taking a singing class, actually. And oh, this I love that about you. By beautiful the way. That's singing. Amazing. Yeah. You improve your speaking by, you know, your voice. So I thought, okay, I'm going to take some singing lessons. And, you know, I took some 
you know, speaking courses and there's a little bit of acting that was part of it. And I was telling her all about it. And she said, Deb, do you realize that all of the, those individuals that you're learning from were men? And I found it very interesting. And she goes, but when we're singing, we're going to bring out your feminine power as well and bring it to the forefront so that your voice can be heard and to raise your platform, knowing that you don't have to um, dress like a man or show up in that same mannerism to own who you are as a woman and be able to articulate and be very powerful with your voice. Yeah. And when she said that, <laughs> I took a step back and I thought, wow, like yeah. I had not even considered that. And I still have great respect for these mentors. They've taught me amazing things, but now I can mix and mold and show up with my voice, yeah. taking some of the learnings that I have, but now also looking to women like yourself, Eleanor, to see as mentors to learn from. I think women, we need to look at the mentors around us yeah, for that, to see what we like and we don't like. Because we yep. still, at the end of the day, have to show up as an individual and let our talents and skills come through us. Because I believe that every single person comes with that purpose that they're going to articulate with conviction, as yeah. you mentioned. Yeah. So when it comes to mentors in your life, who has been um, one of the greatest mentors that you've had? Oh, so amazing. There's just, there's so many, I'll say, um, so there's really three and they're kind of the, the, you know, very foundational mentors, my mother, my aunt and my grand and my grandmother. So my mother, you know, um, she comes from the Fiji islands. We're immigrants to Canada. Actually, we came from the UK when I was a kid, we moved to a small town in Nova Scotia. In Fiji, they have these gorgeous afros and they believe that your spirit is in your hair. So it's really kind of not a thing. You do not cut your afro. You don't straighten your hair. Like this was just, you know, her, her reality. Yeah. So I'm growing up in small town, Eastern Canada. <laughs> my mom, here's my mom. She's a black woman. She's walking around town like with perfect posture, this sort of Fijian queen. And I really experience what it's like, first of all, to experience racism, second, to experience looking different, and third, to experience a mother who holds her head high no matter what, you know, who, who, who is living in this town as well, seeing what is happening and is raising me to be independent, to observe, you know, to observe what's happening to you know, experience what's happening, to try to correct the wrongs, and also to make sure that my opinion of myself always mattered more than other people's opinions of me, you know, and their prejudices about me. And to me, you know, that was so huge. Like I can remember growing up, and my mother was very athletic, and that's how she formed relationships and bonds. So she would play squash. She would drag me to the Acadia University gym where she'd be playing squash and lifting weights in the weight room. And I watched her walking through these spaces where she was the kind of one and only, but she was walking through these spaces with a really solid, grounded sense of who she was. Mm. And I honestly think that observing that behavior, and you know, as a leader, 
people are taking their cues, not by what we're saying, but by what we're doing. And so I watched her set this example of leadership that has stayed with me my entire life, you know, and that my, you know, she didn't have a career really until much later in her life after I had already graduated from high school and was out of the house. But I feel as though I've learned, I learned so much about leadership from her and that was extended to, you know, an aunt who, you know, um, stepped out of a, of a very successful career as a banker to become an author of internationally best-selling thrillers. Her name is Linda Davis. And I tell you that from her, I learned you can do, take bet on yourself, take risks, double down, you know, on what you want. And the same from my grandmother. So I just feel like I was blessed to have these four mothers. They're not my mother, you know, only one of them was my mother, but like yeah. these, these powerful women who showed and demonstrated what it is to believe in yourself, to value yourself, to value your dreams and to really, you know, to stand up for them. Yes. So, you know, when you described your mom, I imagined this statuous woman walking across, just flowing with that positive energy around her. And I think that sports really does contribute to those connections and those relationships and how important for our listeners, you know, if you have daughters or sons even, that you are exposing them to opportunities for empowerment and relationship and community, whether it be through sport or getting them involved in a leadership opportunity. Yeah. Um, totally right. How like has that so impacted you? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I so, I feel as though we're talking about all of the favorite topics. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, kind of. Yes, we are. I know. Oh my I'm gosh. just letting this all flow. I know. Right. It's amazing. It's amazing. Um, you know, this is so interesting. So some years ago I saw research published by EY and it was all about what they found was there was a major correlation between women who were occupying uh, very senior executive roles in organizations and a history of having played competitive sport at an elite level, which I find so fascinating, you know, so there's everything about sort of performance um, at a high level, about working in teams, about discipline, all of those things. But to your point, I think for me, you know, uh, sport, what that has taught me and helped me do more than anything is to understand number one, how to aspire for something, you know? And so today it's so interesting. I remember like now I have two sons, they're nine and 13. And when they were younger and I was first taking them to soccer and stuff and I coached basketball with them, you know, the kids would sometimes ask me, you know, the purpose of the game isn't to win. It's to have fun. I'm like, no, no, no. The purpose of the game is to win. <laughs> right. And to have fun. Like, you try, you try to win. It doesn't mean if you lose, you don't have to love losing, but you can still have a ton of fun, even though you lost the game. But let's be clear. The purpose of a game is to win it. And you also have fun. So it's a very strong opinion. It might be a little galvanizing for your listeners, but that's my opinion. I'm sticking with it. But what that taught me is the willingness to try, because I think sometimes as women, what happens, and you see like the rate of girls dropping out of competitive sport is massive by the time they hit 13. Mm -hmm. The problem with that is that we lean out and we don't learn valuable lessons about the intensity of striving mm. and that we can try and we can throw ourselves into it and we are allowed to go for an outcome without being massively attached to it. You know, if you play sport, like, let's take a look at Serena Williams. 
that powerhouse, she has had a hell of a disappointing run, not winning Grand Slams. And she is showing up, training, continuing. Like she is going for it and not getting attached to the fact that she hasn't won. P.S. After giving birth, after multiple injuries, you know, the greatest of all time. This is the gift, I think, of things like competitive sports. Like, hey, lean into it. Lean into the intensity. Lean into your own intensity. Allow it. You know, don't be afraid of it. Work with it, but also don't allow it to control you and destroy you because that can happen too. And I think that fear of that intensity is fear of how great you possibly are, right? That how much more can you give of yourself? So that's really. Oh, yeah, I love that. I hadn't thought of it. I hadn't thought of it that way, but that's so true. How much, like, and even that. You know, like that's a gutsy question, Deborah. Like, how much more can you give of yourself to this? And, you know, why not? Why not? Because and, and what's the true fear behind it? Right. And and this is where, like, you know, we're talking about women striving and trying things. This is where I feel so much of the conversation around balance. <laughs> and I think about this as the tyranny of balance. That sometimes it's like what, what I find sometimes balance means is that your life needs to be Instagram worthy because you're in balance and you're just, you've got your green smoothies going, you've got your daily yoga practice, your house is perfect and immaculate. You never break a sweat. And I'm like, that's not what balance is. I think balance is like active recovery, taking care of yourself, but you are trying and you are giving it. You've got one life, <laughs> you yeah. know, and you're going for it. So yeah, I love, I love that question. And, and if we're not moving with intensity and having a passion for our own life, um, I think that we need to do a reevaluation because, because we have only that one life and that's why it's so important to have that conviction. Yeah. So what do you, what do you tell people? And I'm thinking of people who are going through transitions. Mm. So they might be, you know, deciding to take a leap from a corporate job to being an entrepreneur they might have had a divorce. They might be retiring and looking at different opportunities to volunteer, be on boards or whatnot. What does it take to build in that radical conviction when, especially when people are in a place of transition, mm. when they feel like they're maybe not on stable ground because they're entering a whole new phase of life? Mm. Oh, I love this question. So especially in, so what I was going to say is commitment to an intention, you know, so clarity. So getting very clear about what you want and then committing to that. Now, when we're in transition, that what that looks like is different because a lot of times when you're in transition, it's like there is a period where you're not yet clear on what your new intention is. <laughs> you know, life looks so different. And so if you try to rush that clarity, all you do is sort of cling to a hangover of what success used to look like in the older version of your, of your old life, you know, not the new life. So I think to that question, when you're in transition, I think it's really important to take a look at your identity. And how are you defining who you are? And how are you, are you clear on your worth? So for instance, when things are in transition, I start to think through who am I? I am a person, you know, so let's say I'm leaving a corporate job. Let's say I were a VP of sales at a manufacturing company and I want to leap into entrepreneurship. 
well, my previous identity might have been I'm a successful VP of sales. <laughs> you know, now I'm moving into entrepreneurship. I'm not yet successful. I'm taking a leap. I don't even have a business yet. I probably don't even know what that business, I have a very vague idea of what it could be. So at that point, I think your conviction comes from leaning into who you are. I am a person who creates results. I am a person who loves to learn and read. I am a person who understands how to build strong relationships. And I'm a person who understands that my success comes from the quality of relationships that I have. So, you know, you're sort of redefining your identity and reclaiming your identity in a broader sense. And that's where your conviction can come from. And what I hear you saying when, you know, that I take risks and I can learn and grow. Those are all building blocks of a foundation, no matter what you transition to when you are true to your core of who you are. Totally. That's where yeah. the power comes from. And that's where you build that unshakable ground versus yes. feeling like you're walking on eggshells or gravel or loose <laughs> exactly. I know it's so uncomfortable, Boring, right? especially us high achievers, right? We like to be moving. We like to have everything be super clear. And so I think this sort of liminal space between our old identity and our new one can be very difficult for us. But what I have found is that by trying to rush through it, mm -hmm. it just, that just doesn't work. You know, we, we have to understand like when it's go time and when it's connect and grow time, <laughs> right? Yeah. And when you talked about the intensity and I'm tying it into this is that intensity and intention that you are working towards something so powerful that draws you to it. Cause often there's that calling, right? That yeah. calling that you don't understand why you keep getting drawn to something, but being able to trust the process. And I know in coaching, we talk about trusting the process a lot. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I know. And I know. But we have to take our own medicine. We're like, oh, it's so much easier to, to ask other people the question than to do it ourselves. Oh, it's just being able to trust that all the efforts that you are taking, even when you don't see the tangible result, to trust that it's taking you on the path that you need to be. And I think that ties back into your radical conviction. And also, what are the mindsets that we need to establish mm. to really move forward, to have that intensity, yeah. to have that radical conviction, to feel like we're unstoppable mm. even when obstacles and roadblocks come up. So what are, what are some of the mindsets that you've encountered? So I think one of, you know, one of the things um, that is really important is to, uh, we, we have, it's, it's both being pulled by your vision and also by your gritty why, you know? So this is huge mindset stuff. So let me throw this one at you and, and see if any of you, your listeners can relate to this. One of the things that I started noticing is that as I was working with women and I work, you know, exclusively with women entrepreneurs. So a lot of these entrepreneurs, they've come from very successful corporate backgrounds so they're very comfortable. They've, they've created this wonderful life for themselves and they're at, the, you know, on the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Now it's really about creating massive impact and really unlocking, like, just how much money can I make? <laughs> you know, so it's really those, it's about this next level of development where what's possible for me, you know? And so, so they are pulled by a vision typically of impact and possibility. And then when things get tough, 
as they invariably do when as an entrepreneur, you're trying to create something out of nothing. When you're inventing something entirely new, you know, even if it's a service, you know, you're still creating something where there wasn't before, you inevitably rush it, run into challenges. And the challenge there for them is they're not uncomfortable, not really. <laughs> you know, it's not like when you, you know, if you're 20 years old, you just graduated from college, you've got to make something work, you know, or you're not going to be able to make rent. It's been a long time since a lot of my clients have not made rent. Now, I understand that there's a lot of people out there who are absolutely in challenging positions. And it's a, it's a privilege, you know, you're in a position of privilege where you are not uncomfortable. Mm. But for those folks, they have very often lost touch with what I would call a gritty why. A deep-seated, powerful, gritty reason that they're going to get this done. And so I think being connected to that. And for me, I was thinking about my dad. He died when he was 58 years old. Um, you know, it was one of these swift cancers. It took him out in six months. It was devastating. Wow. But what was what made it bearable was the fact that he had had a gritty why to provide for us. And we knew that my mother, you know, um, she was going to be in totally fine financial shape for the rest of her life. And I thought about his lesson, what he taught me from that. And I asked myself, if something happened to me this month, next year, would my family be totally okay? I'm the main breadwinner in our home. And the answer was no, you know, like, sure, I've got insurance and all that kind of stuff, but there, are they going to be as comfortable as I want them to be like perfectly taken care of? No. Well, you know what? I'm going to get that. I'm not as, I'm not 29 anymore. So I'm like, that is my gritty why. And so I think sometimes when you're comfortable, you can forget, <laughs> you know, you can lose touch. And so you just don't make yourself uncomfortable enough to get the results that you want. That's wow. one of the mindset things, right? Like, cause a lot of times we're like, oh, let's just, you know, like it, let's have our affirmations and all of that. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. But let's make it a little gritty too. Yeah. So that leads me to wanting to ask you and put you on the spot for vulnerability. Yeah. Where have you been challenged in feeling like you've fallen down? What is the process you use to recover from whether it be a failure, a roadblock, wondering if what you're going after is actually going to happen? Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. You know, for me, the biggest challenges, and I'll be just totally open about it. So, and let's take it back to the sports analogy. Like I always knew that if I wanted to get better at something, I had to go and compete and do whatever I needed to do to get myself onto the best team. Mm -hmm. You know, so I was going to be, I didn't necessarily want to be the worst player, but I didn't want to be the best player <laughs> on the team. Right. Yeah. So I have consistently done that in business as well like doing whatever I can to get around people who are better than I am, who are further ahead than I am, mm -hmm. and to surround myself with that. And so the challenge for me, so it's, it's, it's both a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing because it expands the sense and the scope of what's possible for me. You know, the challenge of it is that if I don't manage my mind it feels like I'm constantly behind, right? So I have to really, really manage myself around this. And that has been, and be, so because of that, if I don't manage myself effectively, if I'm, have, if I'm tired, if I haven't been eating effectively, I can look around at these things that I've accomplished and be like, oh, it's not so much. 
it's not good enough. And so it's this feeling of constantly being behind, right? Mm -hmm. So I really had to learn how to manage myself, you know, and to your, your point, it is about, so getting myself into a position where I can elevate the, the possible, like what's possible and not be afraid of that. Cause I'll see a lot of people who don't want to be around that because it's too uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm not going to hide. And that, if that's whoever's listening, if that's your, your process, you do you, <laughs> you know, yeah. but I'm going to do me. And I want to be, I don't want to be the best in the room. I want to be around people who are way better so they can elevate what's possible. But I know if I'm going to do that, I am competitive as anything in a healthy way. I think I have to keep it healthy by managing my mind, by, you know, um, not allowing other people's success be my barometer of success. So I have found that to be one of the more challenging things. And I think it's really about, it comes around sort of an, for me, it's really about sort of daily practices, you know, practices of journaling, of meditation, of yoga, of taking care of myself and connecting, of being open, but also putting on blinders. I have found those things to be the most important for me to be able to manage. But, you know, the feeling of falling down like two times a week. (laughs) (laughs) So it's a regular feeling. It's It's a regular, it's horrible. If they're not feeling it, they're not stepping under the couch. Listen, somebody described it as going to school in public and right, you know, anybody can, anybody, but until you start going, until people start seeing you fail, that's the hard thing. Like seeing you fail, seeing you not quite measure up, seeing you not yet, you know, that is hard as hell. Honestly, you don't know one of the hardest things, one of the places where it has been most challenging to me with the team. Because as a solo entrepreneur, nobody saw it. Now I have a team, they all see it, you know? And for me, it became about that was hard. (laughs) Yes, yes, absolutely. Oh my God, that is so, I hope whoever's listening, like. I love that. Right? It's so powerful to know. Let's just be real about that, about going to school in public and how awful it feels even though it's so good for you. But it's so true as an entrepreneur, you're putting yourself out there, especially with social media. And we do fail and fumble and people can see it. And it's like, okay, we're real. I know. <laughs> you know, we're real. This is, this is the way it is. That there's sometimes when you're on that roller coaster, you're screaming of your highs. And then there's other times you're crashing and you're coming into recovery, showing that you still got it together. Yes. And, um, it is totally going to school in public. I've never heard it said that way. I, I love it. I love right, it. You need to right. coin that. Put it on your social media. I know. Going to school <laughs> in public. Oh, yeah. So the next question that comes to mind to me is I was listening to the podcast w- with the Unbeatable Mind podcast recently with Mark Devine, and he was interviewing Dove Barron. And he was talking about How, you know how we have this analogy that we should be hanging around with like-minded people. Mm. And he said, no, you shouldn't. You should not be hanging around with like-minded people. And it was the first time I had heard anyone really challenge that belief. And the reason he said that, which makes total sense to me, and I, I think I have two views on it, but I would love, Eleanor, for you to share what your take is on this. So he said that if we're hanging, 
if we're not hanging out with people who have different ideas than us, who challenge us or have different viewpoints, we're not learning and growing. So we're, if we're always hanging around with the like people, we're not learning and growing and striving. And, and I know the like-minded people is more around the mindset of accomplishment, greatness, being able to achieve with intensity that, you know, there's that achievement component. But when he said it, the way he said it, I was like, oh, you stopped me in my tracks. Yeah. Oh, so fascinating. Well, and of course, you know, we're having this conversation um, in the midst of one of the most, you know, uh, prolonged, widespread conversations around, you know, broad-based, and people have been doing work in the area of racial injustice consistently for years. Yeah. But right now, as we're do having this conversation, it is a major conversation that's happening in boardrooms, in offices, yeah. on the streets, on social media. And one of the big things that's coming up is the degree to which we are, we are hanging around like-minded people. You know, they look like us, they think like us, therefore our the biases that we might have are never questioned and go completely unchecked, but I've never heard it that way. But, you know, I agree. And the thing is, it's uncomfortable to yeah. hang out with people who are truly unlike us. And I don't know if you, if, if you notice this, one of the most interesting conversations that I think has come up is how, you know, in response to the Black Lives Matter movement, for instance, um, where we are asked to confront injustice, you know, in our society and potentially mm -hmm. and systemic racism, that kind of thing. One of the thing, one of the big conversations that has fascinated me coming out of this is this idea of spiritual bypassing. So this idea that people will say, I am going to folk, I'm going to use the power of the secret and the law of attraction and only focus on the things that I want yeah. and using that as a way to bypass real challenges. And I think what I noticed in the coaching world is there was a lot of that. So if you, if we hung out only with like-minded people, mm -hmm. who only focus on the positive and who are drinking that Kool-Aid of the law of attraction, which I think many of us do because right. we believe that our mind has power, we could easily bypass our opportunity to make a meaningful difference, you know, to create social change by acknowledging the mm -hmm. problem. So I love that you brought this up because it's, it's, to your point, you know, to, to have those, to, to hang out with people who are not like-minded means we're going to be challenged. We're going to get uncomfortable. We could get mad. We could feel defensive. I don't like to feel defensive or be defensive, but I might, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think in the world of coaching, we teach people and we ask questions to help shift individual's perspective of a situation. Uh, yes. Right. So when he said that, I'm like, how true is it, you know, how for true? me to put in a place where I have to think differently to understand, okay, what triggered me? Yes. Why am I triggered by this conversation? What do I need to deal with that's yeah. triggering me by what they said? Why am I offended? Like, you, you know, yeah, exactly. Why did this annoy me? Yeah. yeah. But to find out why and watch how you show up in the world after you discover that. Yeah. And that's well, where know, I think that change was racism and injustice. Yeah. Will we will see these shifts? But I truly believe that it has to start with the individual, like you said, even for yourself and managing change and challenges. 
that it really starts with leading ourselves, managing ourselves, being aware of ourselves. Yeah. And it has to start at an individual level for us to see that global change. And observing, so true. And it's so interesting. I was having a conversation with someone today who, um, you know, experienced, like saw something and was very triggered by it and was focusing on the thing that triggered her rather than being open to the fact that she'd just been triggered by something, Yeah, <laughs> you know, and like, so sort of being a social scientist of ourselves. Yeah. Cause often yeah. I think we need, think we have to solve or fix something versus just allowing that feeling to bypass and say, okay, yeah. So I was triggered by it. What about that? Yes. Can yeah, I let it exactly. go? Or is it something I'm going to fixate on? That's right. That's right. So yeah. what is one of the books that has impacted your life the most? Oh, I would say there's so many, cause I probably put away about two books a week. So I am like a major mega reader. I can feel that you are too. So I'm going to, you know, when I think about books that have impacted me the most. One book that really spoke to me and was very meaningful to me is a book called The Art of Gathering by Priya Parker. Okay. And it is, so she, you know, she facilitates meetings for like the UN and she facilitates, she's a meeting facilitator. And I remember when I first heard about that, I was like, wow, there's nothing more boring than a meeting. Are you serious? Are you serious? Like, no. But because I do a ton of events or I was doing a ton of events, you know, I was like, let me check this out. But it's all about how we bring, why we meet and why it matters so much. And I think to your point, like that ability to draw people, when we come together, are we being intentional about the conversations that are being created, about the structure that we provide? And I think, you know, leaders are listening to this show. And so if you're a leader, chances are strong that you are bringing people together. And so then you have a leadership over that meeting and are you exercising it? And, and are you creating the kind of impact that you want to have? So I think that that was a super powerful book for me that really shaped in a very practical way a lot of the work that I do. Well, I have a new book to add to my reading list. And I do- What's on your reading list? Well, I, I, I'm always like, what would you suggest? Oh, I am currently reading um, The Untethered Soul. Oh, I and heard of this one. Yes, with Michael A. Singer. And he has another book that's a bestseller called- uh, the Surrender Experiment, which will also be on my reading list about being able to trust the process. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the, the lesson that keeps on learning. It to keeps keep on, on coming back <laughs> until you just finally get it, right? So as I ask all my guests who come on the show, Eleanor, what does it mean to you to live rich from the inside out? Oh, so to live rich from the inside out is to have the space to be clear about what I want and the results and experiences that I want to create in my life. And to do that, to, to have that level of intention requires space. Um, and so that's kind of the first part. And the second part of it is to have a life that is filled with meaningful connections mm. with other people you know, and the third part is to know that I contributed something to this world that left it better in a better state than when I first found it. 
Well, it's definitely going to be carrying on for centuries, as in my other favorite would be The Alchemist with Paulo Coelho, how the words that you share, the words that you have on paper, the messages that you have will continue on for centuries to come. Thank you so much for being a guest here on The Millionaire Woman Show. Please share with the audience how they're going to stay in touch with you because we've had this most amazing conversation. Um, I love how organically these conversations go because whatever is meant to be shared that day is exactly what comes out. (laughs) And uh, I would love for people to stay connected with you. And I also know that I have some other podcast hosts that definitely need to have you on their shows. Oh, thank you so much. It's been such a privilege to be here with you. I think the best, we literally like two episodes ago, relaunched our podcast, rebranded and relaunched our podcast. So it's called Power Presence Position, your message, your mission, your millions. So if you're a podcast listener and you love this show, I think you should check out that show. That's probably the easiest place, Power Presence Position. And you can find me online at Eleanor Beaton. Awesome. Awesome. And I know one of the questions I want to ask you before I go, because it was a primary question I was going to ask you in the beginning and then everything went in I know, a right? beautiful flow, <laughs> is what does it take to craft a message that you stand out in the marketplace? Oh my gosh. I love this. So I think the um, two things, and it always comes back to clarity, right? So clarity around your intention, What's the core, being very, very clear about the core position you're trying to communicate. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is really infusing all of your messaging with the power of story, you know? And so we told a lot of stories here. You know, I I suspect that one of the big stories that people remember is the story that I told about my mother. And, you know, um, so really ensuring that you have access to stories that share a little bit about who you are, about what makes you unique, about your worldview. Um, When you put those two things together, it's very, very powerful. What, I don't even know how to describe it in words at this moment. This has been a power-packed interview you know, diving into the fear of intensity, that radical conviction to really not to be afraid of how great you truly are and to be stepping into conviction, going after those goals and dreams with intensity and knowing that you need to just trust the process and it will fall into place as long as you are very clear and you're focused with intention. Thank you so much, Eleanor, for coming on the show. It's been such a privilege to spend this time with you. Thank you so much. Thank you, everyone, for joining the Millionaire Woman Show. I'd love for you to hop on over to www.debrakazowski.com, where you'll get your free three-part video course of Making Habits Stick, where you can put that focus and consistency into those habits, into your goals, so you can knock those goals out of the park and make them a reality. As Muhammad Gandhi said, be the change you wish to see in the world. Go out and make today great.